Speaking of reliability, a podcast with good friends talking with you about reliability engineering topics. Welcome to Speaking of Reliability. This is Fred Schenkelberg. And this is Chris Jackson. And we're going to talk about decisions and how we can make sure decisions add value. Is that right? Yeah. Well, we were chatting earlier about students. You know, we both teach classes in one form or another. And and I've run into it a couple of times recently. Um, this isn't a particular question to the show, but it's a question that, that I think both of us, Chris, get or run across is, well, can't I? Well, one question I did get was similar to this problem: is this, can you help me estimate the reliability of our product? Well, okay, that lead led to a whole pile of questions, and he says, no, 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 I just I'm not getting the MTBF number I need uh, from the software package we're using, and how do I adjust it so I get the number that we expect? And I'm like, okay, well, there's all. Let me unpack this. You're not going to like the answer, <laughs> but. Um, doing a parts count to generate a random MTBF number so that it meets your customer's expectation is one line. Two, it's not helping anybody, you or the customer. So you need to back up and figure out what it is exactly you're trying to do as a reliability engineer and, you know, get a life. I didn't say it that way in the, in the response to that question, but and, and we were just talking about accelerated testing. It's the question of how many sample sizes do, or sample size I need. There's a whole pile of other things you need to do. Is do you even need to test this? You know, am I doing the right thing? Uh, and I think Chris, you and I talked about this a handful of times. Is um, you got to start with what decision you're trying to make? Where are you trying to go? What what of uh, if I work out exactly how it'll last for twenty years and Nobody cares. I just wasted a whole lot of time. Right. So I think the issue is, is that we need to get out of just putting our head down and cranking out software or running tests and doing analysis or field failure analysis and, and writing reports to the ones changing the mindset a bit to we need to do the things that actually matter. And I think right. the focusing on the objective or the decisions then helps us prioritize that this is, this makes a difference to somebody if they get the right information or get good information. So let's work on that. And you actually save yourself a lot of heartache because I think we talk in these podcasts, well, it feels like to death, where we have people come up and ask us questions like, you know, what's the number? How do I find the MTBF? How many samples do I need? Um, what accelerated life model should I use? And you go, whoa, 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 why are you doing this? Because I'm not, we're not trying to be, you know, not trying to be um, obstructive here, but if you don't know why you're doing this, we don't even know what questions to ask. And you're asking me these questions if you don't know why you're doing it. I think the analogy I'll use in the last podcast is, you know, when someone asks you, how much fuel do I need for my vehicle or car? There's a ton of questions you need that there's, a ton of questions that become come before that. Why are you doing this? Why are you going to go for a drive in your car? Where are you going to go? What are you going to tow? What vehicle is it? And of course, it's obvious that you need to have an idea to the answers to all, of all those questions in order to say, well, then now you need this much fuel to do what you need to do. Um, and it's just so, 
if you think about it, uh, it's so much easier to know where you're going before you start a journey. It's, it's, uh, that's one of the sort of um, prerequisites of going on a journey, I would argue, knowing where you're going. But people want to feel like they're making progress. Um, and just moving isn't progress. You could be moving in the wrong direction. And it means it takes a lot of time and effort to undo what you've done if you ever get to do it. So, I mean, I think we're talking about scenarios where our students say, we just give me the number. What is this? What yeah. do we do? Um, and you go, What's the formula? Yeah. What? Right. Give me the five formulas I need and, that, and I'll be done. And I just crank out those. All right. No, it doesn't work that way. But, uh, it, it, and it's just, I think as engineers, we're almost trained in a way. You've got textbooks. It's like we have a brief opening salvo regarding, you know, value and, you know, societal good and things like that. But that's, then it's assumed that we want to improve reliability at infinitum and everything needs to have a, a, a corrective action and everything. We need to model everything. And yeah, no, no, no. Why are we doing this? Is it because um, are, you try, are you trying to improve operational availability? An example I often use in my courses is planet.com. That's a company which uses a large number, hundreds of small satellites, and I mean really small satellites, less small than shoebox size, hmm. to image every centimeter of the Earth's surface every single day. And the ability for them to do that is based on the number of satellites that are actually working, pointing towards the Earth's surface. And they know, as a rule, how often they can launch more satellites to replace the um, small satellites that have that are broken and small satellites don't last for a, a particularly long time. Um, they know how many small satellites they can have up their sort of total. They know how much it costs. And in fact, it makes an often, often it makes more sense to, instead of spending $3 million on what is a very reliable small satellite to spend $3 million on three unreliable small satellites. That's often a better deal. Um, because those three satellites working in concert provide more, uh, better, better coverage and more likelihood of uh, there being eyes on the Earth's surface for longer. Mm -hmm. And so reliability doesn't get improved ad infinitum. It needs to be understood more than, uh, uh, more than measured over and over and over again. Well, the, the objective or the, the, what that organization is trying to do is map the Earth every day, and that's availability. You need to you need to have eyes on it that's able to do it. And if you have a couple extra, well, you can't launch one every couple of minutes when you detect a missing spot. Right. <laughs> uh, I guess you could if you had enough money, but uh, yeah. it makes sense to ship a couple hundred up and disperse them. And yeah, there's some overlap, but now we got the advantage of, of a redundancy. But if, if exactly. I'm sitting there as the reliability guy and I'm saying, well, this individual shoebox needs to last for five years and it's going to cost me $3 million to make that one shoebox, well, we're kind of missing the picture here. I, A big picture I, might be the, the, no pun intended, well, maybe it is. Um, you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. Uh, when people say no pun intended, they absolutely intend that pun. That's oh, of course, yeah. No, it was a mistake. <laughs> I didn't realize until after the fact that, you know, it's just it's funny it's that good. way. Yeah. But the idea is, is that in Carl, Carl and I talk about it in, and on occasion is, and you and I talk about it all the time is, well, what are you trying to do here? What's the big picture for this organization? And 
yeah, there is a pun again. But the idea is, is that it's, um, if they're trying to just get every day map the whole surface, there's many, many, many different ways to do that. If it's a home product, a home kitchen appliance of some sort that you're competing as low cost and cost is the driver for everything you're doing and you need to be in on the shelves in a particular market and a, you know, a particular day, so time is critically important. Well, we're not going to go do uh, a three-year study of the motor's reliability. No, we're going to sort out what's the biggest hurdles to having a complete failure when it shows up. If mm-hmm. you know, it's got to be at least good enough, and which is a different criteria than perfect. So, what is good enough? I I think the real issue is that when people ask these questions. They don't want to think about it. They really don't want to invest time thinking about it. They want someone to tell them the answer. And that's the root, pro- root cause of these problems, nine times out of ten. They don't want to think about it. Yeah, and the hard part is, is neither does their our management teams and the folks saying, hey, reliability person, go go do reliability. There's a disconnect there, too. It says, well, what are you trying to achieve? Well, we're, we don't want to spend any money, all right? Well, um, I, I need to talk to the design team then. <laughs> you know, let's let's get it right right from the start. Well, no, 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 you can't talk to the design team. You go to de- testing. So you don't want to spend any money, yet you're going to send me in a lab with a bunch of test equipment and no samples. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Come on. What is, it just takes a few questions to help our teams understand if they don't have it already is, well, what is it that's important? Is it operational availability? Is it low cost, but it works for at least a year? Is it ease of manufacturing? Is it, what is it we're trying to accomplish? And be very specific about it. And then I think it becomes a lot easier to align with that and make recommendations that align with that touchstone. Um, right. It sounds easy, right? But it just takes a conversation. Well, I'll give you an example, real-world example. I use this example a lot. It's a fantastic example where a mining company essentially wanted to, re- to improve. The edict came from above. You need to drive down the amount of servicing you do, reduce the mean preventive maintenance time, the weekly mean preventive maintenance time down to six hours. Has to go down. We go, okay. Well, they did that, and of course, phase went through the roof. Right. We had these poor old maintainers who were trying to do servicing between shifts, and it was it was just didn't work out well. And what that represented was a a complete lack of effort in trying to understand what that organization values. Because I actually value operational availability more than than anything else. And service duration is just but one part of it. And so when we're able to say, you know what, this is why you you got, we we achieved the reduction in servicing duration. We just stopped doing some of the tasks. That's that's Mm -hmm. all that. I mean, you, we don't have to think about it. We don't have to work towards it. We just don't have time to do everything that we're supposed to do. So we prioritize and the low-hanging fruit fell off. That's There's not a lot of thought to it. But if you allow us to focus on operational availability, well, then that's actually pretty pretty flexible because we ended up coming with up with a, a, a as opposed to a weekly um downtime period we come up with a fortnightly or bi-weekly downtime periods every two weeks these vehicles would come offline but they're able to come offline for a lot longer and it went to 11 hours over two weeks and that also was accompanied with some changes in lubrication changes in in, in uh, some of the consumables so that those consumables would last 
longer. Mm-hmm. And so that came mm-hmm. at some cost. But we're able to reduce the downtime, the the, uh, the average weekly downtime to five and a half hours. So we exceeded the, the this mandate from above on average by 30 minutes a week by looking at it from a different perspective. Did servicing every two weeks. Servicing was of itself longer, but because it was occurring less frequently, the amount of downtime was reduced overall. Well, I, you can really imagine how that would work if you're on a big vehicle, for example, and it takes you an hour just to access what you need to maintain. You, you save all that time of just getting Correct. access, you know, just do it once and get more done. Um, that's it wasn't a, just access. It's a half hour drive to get there. <laughs> <laughs> There's that too. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's just, uh, there's a rush to feel like you're doing something. Okay, here's a metric we can just, it's, we can touch it, we can understand it. Let's say we'll do less of that, but no understanding about what was valuable. And all of a sudden, when you say, hey, we actually value operational availability, not how long it stands for each and every single time. That's a factor which allows us to calculate operational availability. But if you spend more time offline per incident, but the incidents are few and far between, that might be a good thing. So, yeah, you got to really think about what it is you're trying to achieve before you have ridiculous edicts about that, that could really ruin your day. Well, you know, it's easy to pick uh, maintenance time as a, a KPI and some managers being counter type is uh, saying, well, we need to reduce that. That's a big cost. And if they don't have that balancing measure of, well, what's my uptime? Um They'll, it, I, get, I use the example of procurement organizations all the time. They have this usually have an edict of 10% cost reduction year over year. And it's like, you can do that until we're bankrupt. That's fine. And you're paying nothing. Customers or suppliers are paying you to be in our product, but nobody buys them because they don't work. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and getting the procurement organization to understand that their decisions impact product failure rates and warranty costs um, is a revelation for some of these folks. But they pick a number and their bonus is tied to it and they'll drive on that as hard as they can to reduce it or maximize it or do whatever. But they're ignoring, well, you know, we actually need to be profitable and we actually lose market share if the customers, you know, pick up our product and it doesn't work. They'll go somewhere else. There's lots of options. So... Are we solely focused on reducing warranty costs? No, we're probably interested in profitability or market share or customer satisfaction or brand, I don't know, all kinds of different things that could be in a, in a product, uh, uh, consumer product type company. Um, the trouble is, is when you get into the design cycle of those, it might be all about cost reduction or it might be all about hitting the schedule and all, everything else be damned. Um, but having that clear picture of what's the, what are we trying to do overall? What's the objective, whether it's operational availability or profitability or market share, then we get a touchstone that says, all right, that builds a set of constraints around what we're trying to do and gives us particular options as, as your, uh, example illustrates really well, Chris, um, is yeah, just driving down maintenance, irregardless of our operational maintenance, if if that's the objective, it, we're trying to reduce costs so we don't go out of business, well, even then, you and I would probably say, well, you need to look at how many more failures you're getting and what's that cost you? 
You know, it's the same mm-hmm. with product. That can drive the component costs way down. But if instead of part per million failure rate, we got 50% failure rate, well, there's still a cost. It's just that you're not calculating it or including it's, it. It's funny how people who are smart can essentially almost deliberately put their brain into neutral to just pursue these very selfish short-term goals. I mean, the easiest way for me to spend less money on fuel for my vehicle is to buy less fuel. Well, that's yeah, don't way. go anywhere. It's... <laughs> oh, that's, that's irrelevant because my KPI, Fred, was right. to spend less money on fuel. Yeah. I mean, I can't go to the hospital, I can't go to work, I can't get groceries, but I now am spending less money on fuel. Oh, look at all and that so savings. You know, the price of fuel is, you know, that's worth right. it. So my bonus goes to the roof because that was my KPI for that year. It's... um. It, it, that says bad. That sounds stupid, but so many corporate organisations with lots of old white guys in suits tend to have that culture because they don't want to actually think about what it takes to realise fantastic gains, especially when it comes to reliability. And that's actually an opportunity for most because it's surprisingly common. The the laziness when it comes to critical thinking is endemic. So. It gives you guys who are listening to us an opportunity because if you start taking it seriously and understand that, hey, if I invest $10 more up front, I might save millions of dollars of failures later on, then you're just going to be a market leader before you can say, oh, my God, that just happened. Yeah. So there's a huge opportunity because it's so endemic that uh, for you to take advantage of it. Yeah, yeah. Well, one one last example that came to mind is that this one organization was losing market share. They were having a horrible time. And I know I've used this example a couple of times, but and they had all this field data and they had failure analysis down to the major components of their system. And so I just did a Weibull plot, fit a, a Weibull distribution to each of those subcomponents and, and then the overall one of it. And so it was like apportionment basically, but not a mm-hmm. single number for each one. Each one had their own curve. And three of the things were in the noise. They, You could double their reliability and nobody would care. But two things, uh, one affected the early life. It, it failed during installation almost all the time. And and then it once it got installed correctly, um, it never had a problem. It was part of the chassis actually was would be cracked and stuff through drops and transport processes and install processes and the other one was some other component that wore out and it just was one plot explained briefly what it was and they says oh we need to fix that and that and if we fix those two things we can improve the reliability dramatically and there it was like the light bulb went on it was it was like the it was, I didn't have to think for them. I just showed them, here's what I'm seeing. But they were using single point, you know, failure rates, averages over whatever duration of information they had. And, and they were working on those three things that really didn't matter because right. they liked working on those things. They were cool. Yep. <laughs> you know, like, no, come on. You've got all this data. Use it. Here's a simple way to look at it. Let's do a Pareto of what's most important at the first month and what's most important at six months, what's most important at two years. Okay? Go work on those. You'll make a difference. And, yeah, sometimes the right graphic, sometimes, you know, using the data you have and presenting it in a different way helps people see those issues. But I, the overall piece is the, what is important overall for the organization. Mm-hmm. And... 
and then f- what are the what does that present as options and ways to go? The the current metric of the day is may or may not may not be the right one. It's let's think about what we're trying to do first, and, and that's what you've been getting at, Chris, for many many podcasts. Well, you need to actually think. Damn it! Yeah, have to think. Yeah. So anyway, if you're thinking about this and listening <laughs> to this thing and, and have a question or two for us or have some thoughts on it, that would be cool. Head over to ascendoreliability.com slash go slash SOR and you can leave your thoughts or your critical thinking, uh, thought-provoking questions for us uh, at ascendoreliability.com slash go slash SOR. Uh, Chris and I and the other hosts are available through LinkedIn or through our about pages at Ascendo. There's lots of ways for you to, to uh, let us know what you're thinking about. I'll, I'll put it that way. Um, <laughs> I don't know. You know, Chris, I think we're going to have to dig a little deeper. I like your new analogy of the, you know, if you don't know where you're going, you don't know how much gas you need. That's a right. good analogy. I think we have to i will have to write that one down somewhere. Is it too late to put in your book? Yeah, probably. <laughs> Second edition. <laughs> right. Yeah. No. Well, plenty else to do before I get to a second edition. So in the meantime, we'll just have a good time and think about answering questions for people that have them. Absolutely. Until right. next time, friend. Yeah, thanks. Talk to you later, Chris. Cheers, Red. See ya. Thanks for listening to Speaking of Reliability. We invite you to join the conversation if you have a question or a topic that you think we should discuss in a future show, please let us know. You can find a comment box below the episode show notes or just leave a note as part of a review on iTunes.